0: So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn please to Philippians chapter 4. I noticed in the worship that a number of people had different words and things that they were trying to bring and they couldn't get in. And so maybe there'll be another opportunity if you had a word that you felt God gave you tonight at the end of this word. It doesn't all have to get locked into one uh, 45 minute or 40 minute period. It can be brought at other points if it's necessary. So here we go, Philippians chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, my sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding... will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, and commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So tonight, we're just following on this way of preaching which we've been doing through Philippians which we've tried to explain is exegetical we go verse by verse so we don't miss anything out so that we actually preach the whole lot now if you're anything like me there's certain passages of the bible that you think why on earth is that in there because I'm sure many of you look at this passage and thinking who on earth is Judea and Syntyche and Clement and what on earth has that got to do with anything else that we're going to be looking at tonight You'll also notice in the verse 1 that Paul takes his time to express some kind of emotion or affection to the people that he's talking with. And I think it's very important that we understand all the verses in the Bible are there for a reason. Please don't skip over certain verses. There are things that God wants to say to us in every verse in the Bible. And so when I look at verse 1, I pause for a moment. I'm trying to help you to, when you're reading the Bible, this is how you're supposed to do it. I pause for a moment and I consider in verse 1 why Paul takes time to express affection to people that he knows really well. And take time to express. Look what he says in verse uh, 1. He's talking about these brothers and sisters whom I love who I long for. Remember he's in prison. He he wants to be with them and he expresses to them he says you're my joy, you're my crown and in the Lord you're my beloved. And it's interesting that throughout the whole of the New Testament again and again the writers take time to express their affection to the body of Christ. It's important that the atmosphere of the New Testament isn't locked away in the New Testament. It's important that the atmosphere of the New Testament, which is the same church that Jesus was building, that he's still building today, has the same qualities and values in our experience of church right now here today, which means we need to be affectionate to one another. We need to express our love to one another. We are not an organization. We're a family. I don't know about your family, but in my family, we express things to one another, our love, our, our sense of belonging, our frustrations with one another. It all gets under the same, but we're not an organisation, we don't have a headquarters, we don't talk one another organizationally. and the church is a family, which means we must take time to be affectionate, and take time to express our love for one another. And the bigger a church gets, is no excuse for affection being missed, Sometimes people say, I, I heard of a person the other day who's left a church because it's got too big. And so they've gone and joined a church which is smaller. Whenever I hear a Christian does that, I always think, well, I hope the church that you go to doesn't grow again because you're going to have to leave and go to another church. <clears throat> and one of the reasons they left was because it was too big and they didn't know anybody. That's kind of sad. Reason we have communities, for example, is so that we have an opportunity to break the whole thing down so we can express love and affection to one another. I want to be in a church that doesn't get too busy to express love and affection. I want to be in a church that doesn't become organizational and functional, but we're a family that expresses our love for one another and take our time to do that. So the next time you're in your community, just take a little moment before it starts and look around the room and say in your heart, if not out, love, out loud, I love you, I long for you, you're my crown, you're my joy, and you are my beloved. <clears throat> These are not incidental expressions, They're, they mean something. And it's important that in church we don't lose this sense of being affectionate. So I I kind of home in on that, and I think that's really important. Then we get to verse 2 and verse 3. He starts talking about people who you've never heard of as they weren't mentioned in the Bible. Who on earth is Judeo? Who on earth is Sinteki? What do we know about them except there were two women not getting on? And Paul says, come and get these women together. They're really good. They need to work together. But he actually names them. There are all kinds of names that are mentioned in the Bible, and they're there for a reason. And I think the reason these names are mentioned is because names are really important to God. And it says to me that you, each one in this, this room today, you have a name. Your parents named you. You might not like your name, but they named you that name. These days, it's getting, I won't go over there. If you're a grandparent, the strange names keep coming out, but anyway... So you have names. And what it says from the Bible is God's interested in individuals. He's actually interested in Eudia and Sintiki and in Clement. That's a bit of a weird name. But these are people with names. A few years ago, there was a bit of teaching going around that God's raising up a nameless generation. And, and the, the teaching behind it was not celebrities anymore, which I absolutely agree with, but I also don't agree with us being nameless because the Bible's full of names. You have a name, you're important, and you count. And you're not just a person in the crowd. And even though tonight you may be sitting next to someone who has no idea what your name is, God knows your name. He's given you this name. And it speaks to me of God's intimate knowledge of you as a person. Please, 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 in church life, never think, I'm forgotten. I'm just in the crowd. I'm one of the people. When God knows you by name. This is a true story. A number of years ago, a friend of mine, who was traveling around Australia, speaking at big meetings with thousands of people, he had a real word of knowledge ministry. He had the ability from God to speak words of knowledge, which is to bring words over people that were quite remarkable and And quite mind-boggling, and people that knew those people knew this is amazing. God's really speaking to this person, healing them, changing them, etc., etc. And in this particular meeting in Australia, there's about a 1,000 people, and uh, they build it up. You know, this is going to be a great signs and wonders meeting, no pressure on my friend. And uh, during the worship, he's worshipping God, and in the middle of the worship, he gets the name of a lady in the meeting. He gets this name, Alice, And he thinks to himself, fantastic, I've got the name, now God will add the rest. He'll tell me all about her and everything. So the worship comes to an end, he gets up to preach, and before he preaches, stepping out in boldness, he says, I believe God showed me tonight, there's a lady here, and your name is Alice. Would you please stand up? And Alice, sitting near the back, stands up, beaming all over her face. He says, great, Alice, would you like to come forward? Because I believe God's going to speak to you. And while she's coming forward, he says, Lord, thank you for the name. Now give me the words of knowledge. Give me the instruction I need to give her. Give her, she's getting closer and closer to the platform. Give me something that's really going to help so that when she's prayed for, it'll open everything up and everybody will get prayed for. It'll be fantastic. She's now got to the front and he is getting zilch. He is absolutely getting nothing else from God whatsoever. And he says to her, So Alice, um, this is a thousand people now watching, Uh, I just want you to know that God knows you by name, and uh, he knows that your name is Alice, and Alice is what your parents named you, and you were always Alice, and today you are Alice, and your name is Alice, going, "What on earth is going on, and God just wants you to know your name is Alice?" And she's still smiling, and he says, "So, um, would you like to go back to your seat, please?" So she turns around and goes back, and he's dying. God, why have you done that to me? You brought me the name. You called her out by name. And there she is at the front. Now she's gone home and I look an absolute fool in front of a thousand people. He said he then preached through the word. He said, I ground through the word, angry at God and everything else going on. And we ministered to a few people at the end. He said it wasn't a bad meeting and everybody slowly went. And he was about the last person there except for one person, still smiling, standing at the back. And her name is? And he says, come forward, Alice. What on earth is going on? She said, this is honestly my story. Three years ago, my husband committed suicide. And it was a tragedy in my life, obviously. But I then went into a pool of deep depression. I'm a Christian. I've struggled with it. I haven't been able to get rid of it. And two weeks ago, I decided to take my own life. And then I heard about this meeting. I thought, well, I'll go to the meeting. And I prayed this. Lord, if you call me out by name, I will know that you have a place and a purpose in my life. And I so thanked my friend when he told me this story because I don't know about you, but I'd have made stuff up. It's kind of like I would have have made something. He just didn't. He just kept faithful, kept saying, your name is Alice, your name is Alice, your name is Alice. God knows your name. He went through that meeting six weeks later, went back through the meeting, and everyone said, this lady's life has been transformed beyond all recognition simply because a guy was faithful to give the name that that's all that that lady needed she didn't need anything else it's what she asked for names are really really important you're not nameless it's vital that you understand God's got a place in your life I don't think there's anyone here called Alice it doesn't really matter God knows everything about you in every detail also, I want to check out verse 1. Still, we're not getting very far at the moment. Verse 1 is important. <laughs> the first word that's written, mentioned in verse 1 is the word, therefore. Now, the reason this is important is all the epistles that Paul wrote, and indeed other scriptures that were written by others, they had this pattern. And you can follow this if you want. You see it here in Philippians. The teaching to the churches is about who they are in Christ. It's about what God has done for them. It's about who Jesus is. And every epistle does this, explaining truth. If you like theology, getting stuff into people. And then there comes a therefore moment. It's kind of like we've taught you, we've taught you, we've taught you. Now because of this, therefore, don't live like this, but live like that. Now, this is really, really important for you to understand. There are too many Christians struggling around trying to live in a certain way without understanding who they are and who Jesus is. You'll never live your life as a Christian in the way God intends you to live unless you understand things. So Romans which is a fantastic book explaining all this wonderful who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you. It's seven and a half chapters into eight chapters before the word therefore comes. And do you know what it says? Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Everywhere I go, I meet Christians who know that verse, but they live condemned. Do you know why? Because they haven't understood chapters one to seven. So here we are in Philippians. You've had wonderful teaching from guys and girls in this church on Philippians 1, 2, and 3. And it all adds up to chapter 4. Therefore, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. Anything? how on earth can you say those things to us? Well, you can say them on the basis of chapters 1 to 3. Haven't you been listening? You know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. When Jesus sets us the the example of humility, it's all about Jesus. He did not grasp equality with God, Philippians chapter 2. But he emptied himself. Why? So that you and I might have an example to follow. The last couple of weeks, Paul's in jail thinking about his past and thinking all that's happened. He says, I count it all as rubbish. And I press on to know that which I've been called of in Christ. It's all wonderful teaching and theology all building up to therefore. So it's vital that we don't just go over these verses and miss wonderful truths. So it's like Paul says, in the light of all that you now understand and you've heard, I'm going to give you two commands. And it comes across as really like commands. There's no ifs or buts or question marks or brackets. And these are the two things we're going to look at tonight. Therefore, you can almost see it there from verse 1, jump into verse 4. Therefore, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. And the reason he said it with such strength is because of all that's preceded it, and also because he's about to tell you why you can rejoice in all circumstances, and why you don't need to be anxious. So let's spend some few moments looking at this. First thing is in verse 4 is, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Has it ever occurred to you why it's important that he mentions the word rejoice twice? It's kind of like, we're not hard of hearing, Paul. We heard it the first time. Why are you going? Why are you? Well, it's obvious. If you say something twice, it's because this is really, really important. He is saying to the Philippian church, look, you're going to go through a whole lot of difficult times. I want you to learn to rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm saying it again, rejoice. I want to get your attention. I want, I want you to know this is really, really, really important. It's important that Christians rejoice for lots and lots of reasons, which we won't have time to look into tonight. But for you and I, if you're a Christian here tonight, you just need to know rejoicing is part of your calling. It's something that there's an expectation that you will do all the time. You're all looking at me thinking, yes, we have no problems with any of this. We're just so full of joy all the time, Everything. The reality is you can be, and we'll see why that is in a moment. Every time in the Bible, a person's name is mentioned twice, it's because it's important. Every time there's a subject that's mentioned twice. Jesus said this, truly, truly, it's kind of like attention, attention. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is a big deal about to come up. When he's talking to Martha in one occasion in the Bible, he mentions her name twice. Martha, Martha she now knows she's in trouble because her name's now been mentioned twice. Do you remember at school? Holden, Holden. It's kind of like, oh no, I'm really in trouble now. I have a granddaughter called Martha. I'm so glad she's called Martha because sometimes I go, Martha, Martha. She knows it's in the Bible. She knows what's coming. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This is really, really important for you to grasp this. So let's unpackage it real quickly. Three things: one, rejoice. It's an old-fashioned word, it just means express your joy. All through the Bible, we heard the hint tonight when right that first scripture was read in our worship. God, all the way through the Bible is telling his people: rejoice, be glad. Come into his courts with thanksgiving, be full of joy. It's expectant that the people of God will be expressing pure joy, which is what it means to rejoice. And this joy that we rejoice with is not a shallow thing. It's not just a feeling. It is emotion. Let me just say that again. Joy is emotion. There's nothing wrong with emotions. We don't live by them or depend on them, but we have them. Have you noticed? Where do your emotions come from? Well, The Bible says we're made in the image of God. So this is indicating to me that God is a God who's full of emotion. And he's passed that on to us as human beings made in his image. And so my joy, your joy, is emotion, but it's not rooted in a feeling. It's rooted in truth. It's actually rooted in a person called Jesus. There is a reason for our emotion of joy. And God, this would surprise many people up and down the high street and all around here, God is the source of joy. Not many people think of God as joy filled, but there is no being in the universe that is as joyful as God Himself. And He is complete in Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, full of joy that we get to experience. He doesn't need you to make Him joyful, He doesn't need the church to make Him joyful. He didn't even need the planets to make him joyful, though they gave him joy. The stars gave him joy. The universe, it is good, God said. He rejoiced and still does over the universe. He is the source of joy, He's always rejoicing. Isaiah chapter 52, 62 verse 5. There are so many scriptures. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. It would be a very weird wedding to find the bridegroom disappointed (laughs) as his wife-to-be comes up the aisle. I mean, wouldn't that be a weird... Wedding. i mean even though he's british he might internally be rejoicing you never know <laughs> but it's a wonderful moment my bride been waiting and god rejoices over you like that zephaniah 3 verse 17 the lord your god is in your midst a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you in his love he will exalt over you with loud singing isn't that amazing? Some Christians don't like the noise level of worship. God doesn't seem to have a problem. <laughs> he sings with loud singing. He is a God who rejoices and He's rejoicing over us. Um, Jesus was full of joy. Don't let Hollywood movies steal the real Jesus from you. Hollywood movies, Jesus looks ill and he looks like he's weird and he's got glazed blue eyes and he quotes Bible verses and he drifts around three feet off the ground it's not Jesus in the Bible Jesus in the Bible is earthy and real he's a full man and yet it says of him the oil of joy was upon him above his fellows which is a long winded way of saying Jesus was the happiest person ever walked on this planet he was a man filled with joy. Even in the midst of sorrow, he's filled with joy. For, this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We're made in his image. And so Christians should be full of joy. Now some of you in this room tonight are like me. Not all of you, but some of you are. In that you have a temperament naturally, which is quite glum so I have been a person who struggled all through my Christian life with the facts so I have this propensity to be glum about things rather than be joyful. And you know, you think, Oh I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be like this. I should be happy, clappy, and you know, full of joy. But you know deep down inside you're not. Now here's the good news if you are anything like me. I'm looking at some of you, I know some of you. <laughs> um, this is not dependent upon your temperament. And this is not dependent upon your personality or whether you're a glam or whether you're this or that or whatever. Because you see, this is a work of the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes in you, if you're filled with the Spirit, then the manifestation is joy. So the Bible says there are various fruits of the Spirit and one of them is joy. The reason this is good news is all you need to do is be filled with the Spirit and you'll know joy that's nothing to do with your personality. And so when Paul says rejoice, And again, I say rejoice. He's talking to everybody, the youngest to the oldest. He's talking to the experienced and the inexperienced. He's talking to men and women. He's talking to the glum people like Dave Holden. He's talking to the happy, jolly people like Tony Dark. (laughs) He's just talking to all of us. And he says rejoice. And he would not say it if it wasn't possible. Think our generation is all looking for Joy. They're in desperate search for happiness and joy in their lives. Take look at this verse for size, Psalm 47: You have put joy in my heart, and you've put more joy in my heart than they that have grain and wine abound. That kind of signifies people have got a lot of things. They get drunk, and it gives them a bit of happiness. But God has placed joy in your heart. That's why Paul can say, "Rejoice! You've got joy in your heart." It's time for us to begin to express it. Then it says, not just rejoice, but rejoice in the Lord. Now, that little phrase is really, really important. We're not called to rejoice in things. We're not called to rejoice in events. We may get a little bit of joy out of them, not in ourselves or other people, not even in moments. Our society is constantly looking for expressions of things they can be joyful in, but the the problem is, however great they are, they're always temporary. They never last. And so when he says rejoice in the Lord, he's talking about something very different from the way most people get joy. And you and I are living in this world, so we can go to things and we can get a little bit of joy out of them. But all those things are temporary. You know, when we have the New Year's Eve celebrations up at the River Thames, hands up who's been up to the River Thames on New Year's Eve and uh, watched it, one, two, three, just a couple of people. I'm always a bit bemused about why people do this. Um, um, because you get up there and you all rejoice. And you say, what are we rejoicing about? Well, we've just come to the end of a year. Was it a good year? No, it was really lousy. So why are we rejoicing? Well, because it's the beginning of another year. Is that year going to be any good, better? Well, we've got Brexit and everything, so no, I don't think it is. <laughs> why, why are we, this is my glum side coming out right now. Why are we rejoicing in these things? And even if you've got a reason to jo- rejoice, 12 o'clock becomes quarter past 12, becomes half past 12. And then the lights go down and the fireworks are stopped and everything goes down, 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 down. It's just temporary. It just doesn't last. Think of the most wonderful thing in this world that can give you joy. And the Bible doesn't say put your, put your joy in those things. It says put your joy in the Lord. Because however joyful it is, it won't last. I mean, some of you are going to get increasingly joyful about the football coming up over this next week. Some of you are going to watch England actually win 1-0 against Tunisia and 1-1 with Panama and your hopes are going to go up and all the England flags are going to start. Please don't go there. Your joy will not last. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. I remember when our children were born. I remember the, the feeling of tremendous joy. I have never known pure joy on this planet, apart from God, when I've been with the birth of a child. And it's just this gush of incredible joy just comes through you at that moment of birth. But even that doesn't last because this baby that's giving you just such joy starts to change and grow up and become more of a child and an adult. And your joy begins to diminish (laughs) as the years go by where was all that excitement and joy well the child didn't stay a baby they grew up and we could go on and on to think of these things so Paul says rejoice in the Lord why is that different well because this God is unchanging you can rejoice in him always because he's the same yesterday today and forever He is unchanging and he is the source of constant joy. And my joy is in him. My joy is in all he's done. My joy is in all that he is doing. And when I get a bit low, I can come to him and remind myself of all that he's done and everything starts to change. Restore to me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. Lord, your word says, your joy is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm not trying to whip it up. I'm just making a choice that my joy is not going to be in temporal things, but in eternal things. I don't think heaven's going to be half as boring as some of you think. I get little glimpses of joy, even in the Christian world, but they're just little glimpses. This is what the Bible says about heaven. It's joy eternal. At your your right hand, the Bible says, God, there are pleasures forevermore. I find Christian funerals really weird because I don't know whether I want to stay or whether I want to go to be with them. And we're all kind of remembering someone's life. And the only person that's not there is the one who's gone to heaven who now knows eternal joy forever and ever. Something really wonderful about thinking about joy in the Lord. And then thirdly, quickly, it says rejoice in the Lord always. And some of us tonight are thinking, well, I can kind of get the rejoice bit and that we are going to do that because we're Christians. I get it's joy in the Lord and not temporal things, but this is a bit too much. Rejoice in the Lord always. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord sometimes. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord occasionally. He certainly doesn't say rejoice in the Lord on Sundays. He definitely doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. So this is kind of full on. Now you've got to remember Paul's writing in prison, which kind of means he's saying rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice from circumstances that are really, really bad. And he wouldn't be saying this if he wasn't experiencing it himself. He's writing to the Philippian church who are going to go through persecution. Some of them are going to be in prison. Some of them are even going to lose their lives. Life was really tough in those days and the Roman Empire had swallowed them up. They were oppressed by a foreign nation. Their circumstances were really bad and into that he says, rejoice in the Lord always in every situation that you find yourself in. He wouldn't have said it if it wasn't possible. Whatever situation you and I find ourselves in, we can rejoice in the Lord Because our joy in the Lord is not changed by our circumstances. Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We can therefore rejoice in all circumstances because God is faithful and he is with us in the situation that we find ourselves in. Please, 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 don't be one of these Christians that says, I'll just wait for my circumstances to change and then I'll start rejoicing. It never happens. Christians wait for the situation to change. It does change, and they don't rejoice anymore. So what does the Bible teach? It says, learn to rejoice in circumstances. Some of you tonight are going through really difficult circumstances. You're in the midst of real darkness and difficulty. It is possible for you to rejoice in those circumstances. Don't wait for the circumstances to change. It's also absolutely vital for you and I to realize that when we are in these situations, we're not being asked to thank God for them. So some Christians get themselves into situations, they can't thank God for the circumstances. They are not what they want, but they can thank God in the circumstances. And that is the big difference. I I just know so many friends of mine who are Christians in different nations and different parts of the world And some of them I know are in terrible situations right now. And yet I also know that they are rejoicing in the Lord in their circumstances. One of my friends is a guy called Andrei Bondarenko. He's Ukrainian and uh, he was leading a church. He planted about 30, 40 other churches in East Ukraine. Then the Russians came in and civil war broke out. Their house was bombed. Their building was bombed that they met in. All the Christians were dispersed. Everybody lost everything. My friend Andre was living with his three kids and wife in a car for a number of weeks because they had nowhere to live. And I met him in the midst of all of this. He came out to a conference, and we, we were met. And what I couldn't get over was not just the story of how terrible things were, but how unchanged he was, and how rejoicing he was, even though he had nothing to be thankful and everything was unknown. He said, "I said, why are you rejoicing?" He said, "Because Paul says in Philippians chapter." No, he didn't. He said, <laughs> he, said "He said because he said because I am learning in the circumstances." That as I rejoice, the perspective changes. And I'm trusting God that all things will be well. And the story, if you track him and his life, is he moved into another town. He started another church, which is growing. All the Christians were, dis- were dispersed, went to other parts of Ukraine, and they just started preaching the gospel. What they were doing originally is trebled since all the difficulties happened. Because there have been a people who have learned to rejoice in their circumstances. I think of my friend Hannah who is uh, in another nation, um, and she's serving God, and her body is riddled with cancer. And she's only in her early 30s. She's married with two kids. And I've seen her frequently over the last two years and been in numerous meetings where she's been. Liz and I just spent some time just with her uh, on our own just recently. And, and she gets a bit healed of cancer, And chemo works, and then everyone's happy, and then another tumour appears. And then people pray for her, it seems she's got healed, and then another tumour appears. And it's been two years of living on a knife edge, not knowing whether the day is the last day. And in it all, this girl is just rejoicing, and rejoicing, and rejoicing. And every meeting we've been, this is not an exaggeration, Liz will tell you, when we've had times of worship, the first person to sing out prophetic songs is Hannah. Everyone blubs like mad every time she does it because we all know that this is the real deal. This is not rejoicing when things are going, yippee. This is rejoicing when things are really, really tough. This is real joy in the Lord, always. A guy called David Mattis, he wrote this and I got this quote. I thought it would work because everyone in England is into the British Bake Off and everything. Here we go. Our Heavenly Father is not indifferent to our happiness. Joy is not the garnish on a dutiful entree of the Christian life. Joy is not the icing on our cake, but an essential ingredient in a complex batter. It is not that there is only joy, but that in our most painful losses and sufferings, we discover how deep the reservoirs of Christian joy run, Only here in difficulty and darkness do we taste the essence of such joy that it is not thin and frivolous and empty, but thick and substantive and full. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Just in these last few moments, let's get to this other one real, real quick, but it's a biggie. Do not be anxious about anything. Full stop. I think surely, Paul, you should have said, do not be anxious about anything, but for all of those of you that live in Southeast London in the 21st century, we understand things will be a bit different for you. He just comes out with it. Therefore, because of who you are in Christ and all that's happened, therefore, because because there's a remedy coming to anxiety, he can say to us, do not be anxious about anything. You don't have to be. There's a reason why you don't have to be And it's here in this verse, verse 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything but. And what that means is, you're not going to get rid of your anxiety by waiting passively for the Lord to take it away from you. Do not be anxious about anything but indicates there's something I can do. If I'm full of anxiety, and I often am, There is a remedy in this verse telling me I don't have to stay anxious. What is the remedy? Well, it goes on to talk about the fact that there are things that I do in everything, potential anxious moments. Paul goes on to say, pray, give thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And I I read out verse 8 right at the beginning of this word where it says, think upon these things. These are all things that anxious Christians should do to get rid of their anxiety. Not to stay passive, but to be actively involved. When you start praying, when you start making your requests be known to God instead of sitting there overwhelmed by anxiety, when you start being thankful for everything that God has done, when you start thinking about what God says about your anxiety, rather than giving in the thoughts of anxiety, things begin to change. And look at verse 7 with me. This is so powerful. And when you do this, the peace of God that passes all understanding will, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a promise but the promise doesn't just come out of do not be anxious and I'll feel your peace. The promise comes out of do not be anxious but pray. Give thanks. Let your requests all be known to God and fill your mind with his thoughts. The answer is never passivity or just wait for anxiety to pass. There are things that we actively do. The Bible doesn't teach us to empty our minds. Some people today think the answer to anxiety is just get your mind uncluttered and empty it. The Bible doesn't teach that. It says fill your minds. If you want to get rid of anxiety, fill your minds with truth. So every time the anxious thought comes, it's replaced by something else. Pray that your requests be known to God. It deals with the anxiety when it begins to attack you. We replace these things with different thoughts. So not many people know this, but the last couple of months, I had to have some tests for something mysteriously going on inside my body. And you have to wait for ages to get an appointment, unless you go privately. I don't go privately. And I wait, and I wait, and I wait. Of course, every day I wake up, I'm thinking, what is this? It's obviously something that needs to be investigated. I don't know what it is. And so I find as I wake up, anxiety has welcome me first thing in the morning. Welcome, David, to your new day. Here's an anxious <laughs> thought. You don't know what's going on inside of you. So, why do, I, do I just give in to that? Or do I start to pray? And do I start to fill my mind with God's thoughts and His word? And do I start to begin to make my requests to be known to God? So, every day I've been doing this. So, I eventually have my scan. And the guy's doing the scan says, Well, you know, da, 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 da. goes back to the doctor. I find out the receptionist. The receptionist says, Your tests are inconclusive, which is not what I wanted to hear. I'm now going on a whole load of other weeks waiting for the next test to come. So this thing of potential anxiety is real for many people. It's real for ordinary people. It's kind of like waiting for things and not knowing and preempting anxious thoughts on things that may or may not happen. We live with these things. It's a reality. 21st century is rife with anxiety. You and I are living right in the middle of it. Some of us have become prone to it. But we've all got friends and family members. and We've got people in our street and in the workplace and at uni who are really suffering genuinely because of anxiety. It was not so of our forefathers. There were generations before that hardly knew how to spell the word anxiety. You don't find the word anxious many times in the Bible. And where it is there, there's a remedy for it. But we live with it. So it's absolutely vital. It's massive. That when we hear this teaching, be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious about anything. But here's the remedy. Do these things and the peace of God will flood you. That this is not only an answer for those of us here this evening, but for the entire world. If people come to Jesus, this is one of the fruits that will happen. A generation full of anxiety will be flooded with genuine peace. I really believe that this is the answer To the anxiety of our world. Some of us are anxious because that's the way we're brought up. It's in our DNA. It defines us. Our parents brought us up that way. We're we're, we're the result of all the anxiety that was passed on to us. You don't have to stay like that. Some of us are anxious because it is our temperament. Some of us are anxious because we just get overwhelmed. Some of us are anxious because we think too much about what might be, but probably never will be, but we kind of allow it all to dominate our lives and our thinking. Some of us, it's just the sheer pace of life and the pressure. There's massive anxiety. I don't know if any of you have watched the recent program on the Bexley Borough and grammar schools and secondary mod education education. All of you who live here should really watch this three-part thing. It's really fascinating. It's a window into Townley Grammar and Erith School and the comparison between two of them on national television. And it's all about the pressure and the anxiety of the 11 plus and then the mocks and then the GCSEs and then get in, get in, get in, pressure, pressure, pressure. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, all these little children around me are all living in this. And it's increasing every year that it goes by, this is real. Yeah. Massive anxiety all around us, yeah. which even robs people of living life. It says this in Proverbs chapter 12. And we'll finish with this, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. If you're anxious, the chances are it's weighing you down. It's dominating your thinking. It can affect your health. Mental health, which is a big deal these days, it's got all sorts of different aspects to it, but a lot of people agree that anxiety is often somewhere in the mix, and why people end up struggling with all kind of mental health issues. It's rife. It's a 21st century thing. It's all around us. And we have the opportunity to speak to people about the solution. And we have an opportunity not just to speak about it, but to live it out. My burden for tonight, tonight as we come to a close is there are people in this room tonight who are genuinely anxious and God's will for you is that you know good news. You don't have to stay like that. There is a solution. Therefore, do not be anxious. Who you are in Christ, all that Jesus has done for you, all the things he's planning to do for you, Make your repressed be known to God. Be somebody who prays a lot. Somebody who fills your mind with the thoughts of God. And I find, in my experience, and most Christians I know that are anxious, it doesn't flick a switch. You wake up tomorrow and you don't have any anxious thoughts. It's a process. It's something for some of us that's going to take a long time. But God is faithful and he will give us the power and the authority to see this through. We just close our eyes just for a moment. And in a minute, we're going to pray. And we're going to ask people to come forward and and just get prayed for. And um, while we're praying for one another, I just want you to understand that, yes, in some ways, this is a word that's worked out tomorrow morning and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I totally get that. It's something you walk out. But it's something wonderful about having someone just pray with you, just stand with you. And if you've got a specific anxiety, if you've got something that dominates you, if it's something that 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 just kind of just robs you of abundant life, then there's something wrong there. And we need to pray with you and help you to get through it. And I just want to bring this rejoicing thing back again. If you find it difficult to rejoice in circumstances, if joy is something that you don't naturally experience, we'd love to pray for you as well let's stand to our feet just for a moment father I want to thank you that in your word you tell us that we can rejoice in you always and I absolutely believe that's not for people with a happy temperament I believe that's for your people your children whoever knows you. And I thank you that every person in this room tonight can know freedom to rejoice and know joy in circumstances. Feel God wants to say to some of us, we need to be prayed for to know joy in our circumstances. And some of us are hoping that things will change and then we'll get joyful. And maybe tonight we're realizing, hang on a minute, I've got to learn to rejoice right now sometimes God keeps us in situations because he loves us and he wants us to learn this and then I want us to pray tonight for people who are overwhelmed with anxiety yes you're going to have to walk this out but why not tonight get prayed for and start the journey and say Lord tonight from now on I am choosing you and I'm believing in you I have faith in you and your word And as I begin to pray and make my requests be known to God, as I begin to give thanks, as I begin to fill my mind with your thoughts, I absolutely believe that from tonight onwards, anxiety is going to diminish, 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 diminish. You're going to find a transformation will come into your life and into your thinking as you put your trust in him alone. So, Father, we pray. Come by your spirit. Thank you so much for being with us tonight in our worship and speaking to us. Thank you, you speak to us from your word. Thank you, Jesus.